Welcome to the No Plateau Podcast. For stroke and brain injury survivors, their caregivers, and the therapists helping them to break boundaries in their recovery journey. Hosted by Henry Hoffman, a certified occupational and clinical therapist, and Pete Duran, a certified podcast host. CPH, look it up. This podcast is intended to supplement stroke and brain injury survivors' recovery journey. Therefore, all content affiliated with this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Plateau Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pete Durand, along with the affable and intelligent Henry Hoffman. Henry, good to see you again. Good to see you. We have, it's like the Brady Bunch screen right now, or Hollywood Squares, whatever you'd like to call it. There's a lot of people on this call, and we're very excited to have two fairly famous people in the world of stroke and rehab, David Densro. And let's see, I, I think, David, we'll, we'll start with you, but I'm going to jump over here for a second and talk to our second guest, Michael Garrow, because we have a soft spot for caregivers here at Sable. And Michael's going to add a lot of depth to that discussion. Michael also has one of the best collection of baseball caps I've seen behind anyone in a podcast in a while. <laughs> So as a bold man, you need it, Peter. That's why I raised my cap. You got it, buddy. I got a whole collection back there too. Your head get cold. It's just get cold in the winter yeah, time. Yeah, you have to yeah, have we'll, caps around. We'll go. We'll go. I won't leave you dry. Here Thank we, you, buddy. Appreciate go. it. So Henry's going to drive part of this, but I want to tee this up. So David has an extensive background in physical therapy, but he brings a lot of different aspects. And also as a stroke survivor, my guess is not a lot of people wake up after a stroke with the knowledge you had in your head before the stroke, right, David? So you're kind of like, holy cow, I think I know what just happened here. And you were acutely aware of what the next steps were going to be, right? Correct. So we want to pull that out of you. And then Michael, as a caregiver, I'd love to hear some back and forth between the two of you of how you kind of communicate with each other, right? As a caregiver and a survivor and how those relationships work. And then want to tap into some of the things you both have learned both from your education and your training, that maybe wasn't apparent, right? What are things you've learned that aren't what I would call industry or market knowledge that are tricks or things that can help our listeners figure out a way to navigate post-stroke, both as a caregiver, therapist, and a survivor? So, And Pete, Henry, before you get started, I'm just going to interrupt yeah. for one second. Just last month, I had the honor of being a guest on their No Stroke podcast. So it was just a month ago. For the audience, if you haven't seen that, definitely check it out, their No Stroke podcast. It talked about Sabo, talked about current neurotrends. And I love the end, which is the magic wand moment, guys. That was pretty clever. What would I do if I had a magic wand to change up the industry? And now that you're our guest, we may have to put you in the hot seat and ask that same <laughs> question at the end. So we'll see what you exactly. think. Exactly. Exactly. Just a quick ad there, Henry. One of our hottest trending episodes right now, by the way, Henry Hoffman. Ah, thank you. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Love it. Great. We're not going to be able to fit his head through the screen here next time. <laughs> uh, Difficult enough already. All yeah. right. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate it. I think let's start with this. David, why don't you briefly kind of share with our audience what your background is and then set the stage for your stroke and kind of when that happened and, and what your journey was uh, to this point. Sure thing. Um, glad to do that. I'm in my 22nd year practicing as a physical therapist, but it's the second career for me. I undergraduate training was in nutrition and dietetics, mm-hmm. practiced for about seven years before going back, had an exercise science background and knew that my scope of practice only covered me so far. I went back for my advanced degree in physical therapy and I would know moving probably six years into my practice as a PT 
woke up to a stroke. So if there's ever a blessing, it's that I had, I will add, my wife's also a nurse. So I kind of had the background, I had the understanding, but I also still had that initial ignorance and shrugging things off, dismissing some early symptoms. One thing, you know, I should add that really weighs into this is I was a young dad of three, you know, private practice, but also had three children under seven years old at the time. So you dismiss a lot of things as fatigue. You know, you, when you have a three-year-old, especially you're, you're in that, that area where sleep comes at a premium. So when I woke up to, you know, three out of the five symptoms that I should have keyed in on right away, I tried my best to dismiss them. And without going into a lot of detail, my, it took my wife to say, Hey, let's go, you know, between dragging my foot, stumbling, falling down the stairs, walking through a door frame and then dropping milk. It took, you know, the, the urging of, of a nurse and, you know, everyone needs a, everyone needs a hero in recovery, right? We talk about the caregiver role and importance of that, but in the initial stages, it was a process of discovery, having been able to fall back on my training, I was able to do a lot of my recovery in the home. And, you know, I'm certainly willing to dive in deeper to that. But I think in when we talk about what needs to happen moving forward in care delivery pathways for stroke survivors, I certainly bring that lens. And, you know, in my private practice, certainly wasn't neurologically trained. You know, you outpatient practice, you treat the lifespan. So you do a lot of orthopedics. My, If I had a focus prior, it was certainly more on the sports side of things and orthopedics. But like I said, if you're fortunate, it's that I had that understanding of the importance of nutrition. You mentioned that that played a big part in my recovery and also being able to know the stages of recovery where I was at, where I needed to go. But did I have a roadmap? No, I woke up to a stroke. No one has a roadmap. Yeah, David, I'm going to let Henry drill into some of the things you learned specifically on the neuro side, right? As you mentioned, you were focused a little bit more on the on the PT side of things. I have one follow-up question. As a practitioner experiencing a stroke, how did that change your view or approach to survivors and caregivers now that you've experienced it? Yeah, great question, Pete. You know, you you, you see people in doses in the clinic and you mm-hmm. never really know what they're going home to. So you work on goals sometimes, you know, and we had this conversation with Henry on our recent podcasts, but you, you don't realize what real life is when they get home. What are those obstacles? What are those barriers with the heavy lift to get that patient to the clinic for a small dose of therapy? And now sometimes Mm -hmm. 20, 30 minutes hands-on with the patient therapist, if you get that. So it really changed my, my keying in on what are those metrics? What are those goals that are functional to help someone's day be a little easier work towards that when they did go home. So that was the big thing is the insights, knowing that there's this whole world that I, you know, that was certainly different than treating someone with knee pain, right. As a clinician and on on the neuro side, it's, you know, it takes a team and it, you know, I learned that through my recovery, but it also takes the tools that a lot of survivors don't have access still, still today. And so, you know, I use the term, Mike's probably tired of me using the MacGyver term, but I will MacGyver a lot of solutions together for patients to try to get them to that next level of success, even if it's a little incremental change to be able to provide them with hope and and the ability to build on that success. David, so a lot of the audience is pretty envious of your physical recovery, right? And cognitive recovery. So if we can just take a step back 
and briefly explain what was your physical condition one, two, three weeks post-stroke? How impaired were you? Because I know they're thinking, gee, I want to be like David, right? Were you walking? Were you not walking? Did you have hand function? Was there aphasia? And if so, how long did it take? It sounds like a spontaneous recovery for some of those areas. But when did you feel like you were completely normal? And if you're not still there, what's the lingering deficits? Yeah. So good questions. And Mike and I talk about this all the time too. Uh, you know, one thing we know, no two strokes are alike, right? So in presentation, there's a lot, you know, it's a brain injury. So yes, my initial obstacles for recovery were that I had effective posterior circulation affected my left side. I'll add that part of my battle, and I'll talk about my obstacles and where I feel I am in my recovery today, were that my stroke was caused from a congenital heart defect. There was one warning sign when I was really young playing hockey that was missed, lost the left side of my body, couldn't talk, fell to the ice. I was on, you know, playing in, in a practice for, for with my hockey team. But fast forward, you know, late 30s when I woke up to that stroke, my residual deficits were that I had initial foot drop. I had left side of weakness, more lower versus upper. My left arm was my dominant side. To this day, I treat differently because because of that, that initial turn and weakness, I didn't have a lot of spasticity, although I, (sighs) the hardest part is explaining that I'm still not recovered. I am still, Mm. when I listen and, and this is what gives energy, I think, to the way Mike and I work together in our mission today is that I hear stories and I can put myself in every one of those positions. I know the early phases. I know the balance that is that delicate balance, especially for some of the younger faces of stroke. Kind of give you a couple of highlights. Like initially, like my goals for recovery with me having some foot drop. I just, my wife was, you know, working double duty. Basically, you know, I couldn't work. I was told my obstacles were completely stop working. I couldn't anyway, because I, I couldn't really use my left hand, like my guiding arm, you know, if you, as a manual therapist, which I prided myself on, if I were try to lift someone's limb and I still get some residual even to this day, but I could not, I was told to stop working because I was at risk of another event because I, you know, just a congenital heart defect means there's a flap or a hole in the upper chamber, the atrial septum, which could, which was what caused blood to shunt through and cause, cause my stroke. But I was told not work, stop working. Okay. So my initial goal, my wife was doing double shifts. I would have to get up in the middle of the night and I just didn't want, I didn't want to wake her up and I didn't want my foot dragging. So I would quietly, you know, hold the bed rail and sidestep. And, you know, my initial goals were small. Like I didn't want to, I don't want to fall over to stand and pee. Like I, you know, they as simple as that is, is it's know, a simple goal, simple yep. goal. Right. But I was in this gray area and part of my mission and part of the reason I don't want to do a lot of my recovery in the home was to take back control and not be a more burden to the family, but really to take the mystery out of stroke for my children. I didn't want to be away. I wanted to do what I did. So I, you know, I've, I've said on other podcasts and even disclose, you know, this to, you know, certain things on our podcast that I never talked about before was, you know, I, I wanted to try to make this as less scary for the whole family as it could be by making, bringing fun and play into my recovery, using, we using, you know, little tools and tricks that my kids were using things as simple as like this little (laughs) loops and, um, little things to return 
upper body function. And, you know, I use. So David, you're still making progress. Every, you're still making progress. I yeah, guess that's the short absolutely. answer is you're still making progress. And what is your biggest, I guess, call it deficit still that you're struggling with if you have one? Yeah, good question. So at the end of the day, if I'm not, if I'm not addressing my balance all the time, if you watched me, if we ended this event and you watched me do a workout, everything is off balance, focusing on balance on my left side. I'm doing a lot of stabilization. So if I, if I walk away from that for a little bit or get a little bit lazy, um, it shows yep. up again. You know, I start to have sure. that. I start, to, I start to get some more foot drop. I start to, you know, really, it, you have to respect that. It, just like an athlete, Mike can talk to this too, because we use this reference a lot. Even if you've reached that high pinnacle level where you feel you're ready to compete, you still have to do maintenance. And well, Aristotle said it beautifully. You are what you repeatedly do, right? So absolutely. if you stop doing it, that's what you are. Thank David, you for to, that. Yeah, David, to, to give the, how long has it been since your stroke? So I'm going, I'm, I'm in my six, I call it seasons, so 16 years. So 16 years. Uh, coming okay. into the fall will be my 16th year. And I think this is an important thing for people who are new to stroke is this is a lifelong journey afterwards for many, if not most people that suffer a stroke. Michael, I want to switch to you for a minute. I'd love to hear how you and David got connected, right? And how this combination of your two perspectives has worked. I know you're a former athlete. And, mm -hmm. and I think I'd like you to touch on the fact that as caregivers, we can't fully understand what people in David's shoes are going through. We just can't, we can't fathom it. And I'm a trainer by nature. It's one of the things I've done. And I know the analogy, and, and by the way, Henry and our guests have helped educate me, right? Because if I know I'm training someone who's gradually gotten a shape over 15 or 20 years, right? They lose five pounds, they can walk around the block, they start to feel different, better. It's exciting. Someone who's had a stroke, particularly David, someone like you who's physically active and you're manually training people, the next day, just picking up a pen would be an incredibly big accomplishment. And as a caregiver, you look at that and like, what are you talking about, right? So we really have to change our perspective. Michael, I also want you to, and I'll, I'll walk you through these questions. David hinted at this. There was no playbook. There is no playbook for stroke. So you go home and now as a therapist, you're recognizing when I send these people home, they oftentimes just don't know what the heck to do. So let's start with how you guys got connected, Mike, and then we'll draw in a couple of those areas. Yeah. And I think just to touch briefly on that, you know, what you're speaking to with, you know, survivor going out and taking a walk or doing a workout, you know, mm -hmm. the, it's that it's as a caregiver being able to understand both that physical rehab and that that side, but the cognitive as well. Yeah. Right. And that's often the hidden, hidden part of it. That's tough for caregivers to really grasp. Certainly. Yeah. So I, I could just give a bit of context, you know, in my story. So my, my mother had a stroke at the age of 28. She was an ICU nurse at the time, you know, so kind of, you know, understood the healthcare space. I was six months old, so I grew up only knowing, you know, my mother as a stroke survivor, but it was my mom. I didn't, she wasn't a stroke survivor. You know, it was just her foot drop. That was the way she walked. That was the way her, her arm constantly had spasticity. So for me, I really, I really took hold of this caregiver role just because it's what I knew and it's who I was. Right. So it, I think it's different for people who might know a loved one previously and then all of a sudden kind of come into this caregiver role but yeah for me i, I kind of took her stroke and really i described my mom as a woman who really took control of her recovery and being educated in healthcare certainly helped with that 
So I grew up my whole life in PT studios and, you know, constantly going to her rehab activities and, and really seeing her continue to drive forward on her rehab journey. And for me, that that just hit home and and it's always been something that's been a big part of me. So my, you know, college acceptance letter I wrote around the way that stroke impacted my life and how it's become, you know, made me a better man. And then I played basketball at university, uh, my uh, college, and had the opportunity to play professionally for a few years. So in my first year, I ended, or one of my years, I ended up in Dublin, where I studied a master's degree in business. And in my dissertation, wrote around stroke recovery and the technolo- how technology could really aid in the, the pathways to focused on rehab, kind of looked a lot into the VR space to really try to drive innovation happening, right? And and how that blend could really improve what the current model is. So in that research, and this was about 2018, David, we just kind of connected through LinkedIn on mutual interest on posts. And we, we hopped on a Zoom call and really hit it off. You know, I think having that perspective from a caregiver and a stroke survivor, was unique. We both saw big opportunities for stroke care and specifically stroke rehab to be modified through the use of technology. And we went down that journey together. It's funny, David and I, we've only met like twice in person. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of our work, you know, started while I was in Ireland. And yeah, it's been a fun journey. And I think we, we have a good, you know, relationship. We bounce well off each other. And for us, like we had a couple different directions we were trying to take, you know, and then through the pandemic, we saw the number one thing is that connection, right? And that's what people were were missing because they couldn't go to in-person events. So we kicked off a, a five-week webinar series that really brought in clinical experts and, and survivors, caregivers, kind of gave them education around the same thing that they'd get in survivor groups, right, that they were going to. But just try to give them that, that one-to-one touch that feeling of community through a really rough patch for for all of us. From there we we continued to go down down the journey and and wanted to start the podcast, you know, as a way to continue showing our leadership in this space and really highlight some of the great work happening with entrepreneurs like yourselves, clinical folk doing, you know, some research and then of course survivors who who really have impactful sh- stories that we'd like to share. Sure. Sure. Michael, caregivers aren't new, right? I mean, whether it's, we're all going to be caregivers, right? Whether it's a cancer uh, patient who's a mom or a dad, Alzheimer client, or stroke survivor. So we know we're all battling with this thought of how can we best be a caregiver at some point. And doing this for 20 plus years, I've spoken to a lot of caregivers. And the struggle is just as real as a cancer survivor or any other condition. You going through this, that's all you know is the caregiver role since pretty much birth. And now being on the other, uh, you know, the side of the stroke industry and, 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 and talking to so many clients that are in the stroke industry, where can we improve as a whole when it comes to onboarding, you know, obviously you want to onboard the patient correctly with the appropriate education and training, but equally so if, if you ever eavesdrop into a SABO meeting weekly, we're talking about how to educate and support the caregivers. And I know we'll dive mm-hmm. into this a little bit more. Where are we missing the boat completely based on your experience, your whole life? And where do we need to go? Because again, it's not just stroke caregivers. It's, you know, it's pick the diagnoses. I know this is about stroke today, 
but how much more can we actually improve? Yeah. Again, knowing this all my life and, and being in a family of professionals in healthcare, I think I had a unique perspective and understanding of this caregiver role because what's missing is that information, right? A poster of what's next. What's this next two weeks going to look like? What's this six months going to look like? What's the next year? And so on and so on. Kind of, and being able, and what's unique about it is that each survivor is so unique, right? So it really needs to be individualized. I think, you know, talking, for instance, for the guy, the interview that we had with the with Henry from Tufts Medical Center and kind of they've they've designed a really nice program there where they they hand hand over a stroke information passport they they call it at, at the end you know once you're discharged home and what I like that they're doing and I think that this could be you know something that continues and it could be a model that other facilities look to bring in is really a one-to-one touch so they have a stroke care nurse that engages with not only the survivor, but the loved one or, or whoever that caregiver might be up to a year after that instant and they're, they're discharged home. So that helps at least keep that engagement and that, you know, follow up with specific questions and kind of understanding of, of what's coming next. But I think what's missing is like you, David and Peter, you guys mentioned earlier, this is a lifelong rehab process, right? So how do we, could it take the pieces of, all right, it, it's been a year, but still there's so many more steps in this process. And I think that's really where it falls apart. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I like to do analogies and my latest analogy is construction, right? So if we build a house, let's say your stroke recovery is building a house and you have a project manager, your life coach or your leading consultant is the project manager. And then you have a lot of subcontract workers, right? Your subs are your OT, your PT, your nutrition, your mental health professional, and someone has to manage the construction of this house. And ultimately the goal, David, is close to what you're at. The house is almost built, right? You're very independent. You're functional. You have a great thriving business and the both of you have this wonderful podcast. So if there's a way to somehow create project managers for caregivers and patients that can be there during the whole construction phase, maybe that's that would make it a little bit easier for people like you. Yeah. And you see the role, like we, we talk a lot about the role of health coaches and how they've impacted chronic diseases such as diabetes, pre-diabetes. They're now moving into the MSK space for more kind of orthopedic rehab. But I think a personalized health coach or someone who really understands, because it's behavioral change, it's motivation, it's kind of being able to stay on track. So if you could kind of blend that support of a, whether it's a health coach or like you said, a project manager, with your care team for more of that clinical guidance, I think that's really where where this space could take off and see you know true outcomes and and folks not falling off the cliff once they leave the hospital. And what's the best way to reach someone in your shoes, Michael, as the caregiver when you're leaving the hospital? Is it the therapist or the hospital administrator handing you something that says, "Here's your roadmap, right, for the next." 10 years. And the information in this roadmap will evolve. As you said, you know, every instance is different, David. What you experience coming out of the hospital is different than a lot of other people. So some customization and tailoring early on in the process is important. And right. then tapping into the various things you just discussed, which is there's physical, there's mental, there's emotional, right? And then almost what I'll call clinical, 
So I, I have all these four areas that I don't really understand what A, I'm about to experience and B, who do I check back in with to know that I'm on the right track? And and Michael, your needs might be different than David's, right? David's trying to figure out, man, this spasticity is driving me nuts. And you might be thinking to yourself, how do I how do I get David out of bed and bathe him properly, right? Yeah. I mean, those very different questions that could be fielded by an OT or a therapist who specializes in these approaches. So I think that's what Henry and Enzi mentioned. If you sit on the in front of a whiteboard at Sabo, you know, we're always talking about product, but we're more concerned about do we really understand our customer? And we have three customers. We have survivors, caregivers, and therapists that we need to service. So interesting hearing all of you talk about that. David, I'm going to come back to you briefly for a minute here. In your experience with Michael, who knows nothing but being a caregiver, right? A 28-year-old mom, you're six-month-old. It's not like you can actually at six months old do the laundry and cut the grass for your mom, right? You're, she's got to figure out how to carry you around. David, you mentioned your wife's pulling double duty with three kids and a three-year-old. So what is it about your role? I'm going to ask you as a therapist, not as a survivor, that you think you could do directly to help a caregiver in that situation. So going home, I still have a job to do. I've got three kids. Now I've got this survivor. I've got to help. What is it that as a therapist, you're trying to convey to them as they make that drive home that first day? Yeah, that's a really good question and great conversation going back, Henry. I like your analogy of the construction manager managing the whole, you know, the whole landscape after a stroke. I think, you know, Mike, you bring up some really good points as well. The, the pathway, the, the initial thoughts when someone comes home, there's the fear. And, and it took me years. And it took me, honestly, reconnecting with Mike and understanding his side. Because initially, I didn't want to scare my children. So mm. when I was looking for resources, it, all these years later, it's interesting to hear Mike's perception. He, he didn't he knew his mom as his mom. That's the way her hand moved. And that's, you know, that's, you know, I, I remember I'll just add one of my, you know, put you on the spot, Mike, but one of your comments you, you mentioned in a podcast when you sensed early on in one of the shopping aisles that someone was looking at your, your mom a little differently and you came to her defense. And what did you say? I mean, you know, you were like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I don't, I just will always right. remember that. Well, yeah, I, just, I, I think you, you, I don't think you, you swore at a young age, but you said, you, you know, you, you called them out for kind of staring at your mom because maybe she was moving a yeah. little differently, but you're, you know, you always want to, you know, on the caregiver side, you want to instill hope. You want to give them part of a plan that is manageable, not overwhelming, but you do have a plan. And, you know, we have to, and you can relate to this, Pete, and, and with your background in health and wellness, I had a big advantage, right? I was in that 5 to 10% that were already exercise. Exercise was my mental health, my, my, you know, I grew up as an athlete. And Mike and I use this theme a lot in terms of that, when you have a stroke, it's like a, getting hit with a double whammy, right? You're, you're totally, oh, your best tool to recovery is to exercise, but we do not. Luckily, if you are in that five to 10% that had that foundation of knowing what core stabilization is about what, so like the foundation and just even initial, you know, I start with simple breath work, go home and we're going to practice. You know, if I give someone 15 exercises, I make them task specific, but I start with breath work. And then I talk about going back to the theme of, of the, of an athlete, an athlete certainly doesn't wake up to three cups of coffee and two Dunkin' Donuts, 
you have to start to reset your plate to train like an athlete because we, you know, when we, Mike and I, we've talked about, can we simplify it to get more reps, right? We have to measure, manage, move. So that measurement needs to include what, what's specific, where they're coming in in that process. And Mike talked about the, the behavior change component. If someone is not even thinking about exercise, we can't tell them to get their sneakers and prepare to be on a treadmill or doing body weight exercise or altered, you know, a program that's going to lose them in the first day. So we have to measure that response, manage, and then move, move towards getting that volume. I let folks know that we're going to set their home up for success in the best way we can. Because one of the things that Mike and I learned with early discovery was that right before things closed down, we were fortunate to go out to the International Stroke Conference in Atlanta in 2020. And we heard there appears to be a home, home field advantage to stroke recovery. The future of stroke recovery is in the home. But who's leading the charge to build that pathway? So, yeah. David, are you on I-95? Is your clinic right outside of I-95 out of curiosity? I'm, uh, or is that, Mike, is that Mike's apartment in Brooklyn? Uh, Mike's in New York. That's, I'm in the country. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. By the way, that, that horn that horn was really well-timed when David said the future of stroke recovery is in the, horn, in the home and the horn went off. So I want to so, make one correction, Pete, real quick. David, you said athletes don't have donuts and coffee. Well, what about John Daly? Oh, John well. Daly has uh, – we, we can call him an athlete, right? It's interesting. There's something you said, David, that's really relevant there. And Michael, I'm curious because – as a caregiver, your journey didn't start during the early phases of your mom's stroke, right? Where, you know, when we talk to a lot of caregivers, they struggle with being the loved one, the caregiver, and the, the home therapist. Because in my conversations, and this is really, really focused, our focus group and our research as we build out our, our therapy as a service platform, is most caregivers look at me and they said, I'm just exhausted. Mentally, physically, and emotionally, I'm exhausted. I want to wake up tomorrow morning and I want to be John's wife. I don't want to be his therapist. I don't want to remind her to do his exercises. And oftentimes the survivor, and David, you're in a, you're a bit of a unique spot because you're both the survivor and a therapist, look at their, their caregiver and the therapist very differently. They might say the same thing. And an interesting example is my mom actually called me the other day and my mom has had health challenges all her life. She's been obese. She's had two shoulder surgeries, two knee replacements due to that. And she's on the other side. Well, she's a great grandmother now. And she literally told me on the phone, she's frustrated because she has to sit down when she holds her great grandchildren now. She's physically not capable of holding them. So she said, I'd like you to take me to the gym when you visit for this wedding in September and show me how to use the machines. And I said, because she said the last person there wasn't really interested. I said, well, first of all, mom, I probably wouldn't show you the machines. And her response to me was, well, I like the machines. Then I said, then you probably should have somebody else show you. Because to your point, David, what I wanted to teach her was this isn't a machine issue. Holding an infant is balance, it's core strength, it's all the above. And if you get in a machine that only isolates your arm, that's the only thing you're going to work on. You're not going to be able to isolate or balance. Or, so it's funny. She wanted me to be her trainer and her caregiver and her, you know, she's my mom. I can't train my mom. So how do you, Michael and David, how do you guys have that dialogue about helping a caregiver play that role or how do you pull in the therapist to assist in that process once they go home? Yeah. It's, so for my mom, the best point that she got to as she gets a little older now, you know, she's nearing 60, you know, bodies deteriorate, right? So mm -hmm. she's kind of, you know, having that. But a few years ago, probably at this point, like 10, 15 years ago, I got her into the gym finally. 
And again, that was the best she's been physically in her life because what she was working on is like that stabilization, that core balance. And I think the biggest hurdle to make that happen was the because how controlling she was of her therapy, she and we were very lucky to be in Connecticut and be close to brilliant therapists her whole life. What she was terrified was of was the a a personal trainer or someone coming in and not knowing her specific condition and her specific, you know, because she's in her mind, I'm so different than anyone else in this gym, right? So I think for me, I, I took that role of of really trying to one know who the right fit for her would be and try to keep that, you know, have her be comfortable with who, you know, who would be, you know, her her trainer and who would be kind of guiding her on this process. So I think as a caregiver, you know, we need to be able to help that balance of knowing that our loved ones so well and knowing what they can do, can't do, and what they're comfortable with, what they're uncomfortable with, and trying to get them comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. And like taking that step into something that's unknown and really trying to be that that nudger. And as a husband, as a as a wife, like that might be uncomfortable because you know that's also you know impacting you know, your relationship. But I think, again, that's, that's where we need that support and that guidance, you know, for caregivers to understand kind of at a, even if it's, you know, access to therapy, like being able to really know how to talk to your loved one that needs this support, because at the end of the day, you know, you signed up to be, I signed, no, I didn't sign up to be their my mom's mom. That's just happened. My, you know, you fall into these situations and, and, you need to take control and, and really be able to guide them. So. And Michael, the, the with the caregiver aspect, I think one thing that we can all do a better job in the industry is, let's say, hypothetically, your mother had a stroke this week. You guys are nervous. Everyone's nervous. The hospital's just trying to keep her alive in that hyperacute stage. She then is stable. Okay. And now everyone's processing that great mom is still alive. Then the transition comes from let's survival mode to what do we do next? At that point, usually a case manager or someone or grief counselor or mental health professional should come in with a kit. Here's your 90-day survival guide. And this kit's going to include mental health contacts. It's going to include what to expect over the next 30, 60, 90 days. It's going to include Here's 15 FAQs on the frustrations you're going to experience, and this is how to appropriately respond to those frustrations. So there's no surprises. So I think we can all do a better job, and the hospitals can do a better job of preparing the loved ones on that journey because everyone's focused on your mom, rightfully so. You know, it's stabilizing, and get the process started. They're really not focused on you. A lot of them aren't. No. I know some do, but some aren't. And I think if we could somehow come up with this you know, it, it's hard to make it universal because every profit hospital, for-profit or public hospital has their own little policy and procedure. That's where I think the digital aspect comes into it. So I'm yeah. sure you guys, as we round out this interview, I'm sure, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk too much about, hey, what's your business model? Where are you guys going? Right. You know, obviously I look at David, I look at your gym back there. Clearly you're treating patients. That's wonderful. I don't know what the caseload mix is, but I know some of them are probably neurological patients. And Mike, you're working at CVS and you're doing great things mm -hmm. there. You know, if I may, 
how many hours are you putting into this wonderful exercise of getting the word out? And what's your home run plan here over the next few years? Yeah, you know, for us, it's it, it varies by week. You know, through the pandemic, you know, we, we were certainly putting in a lot of hours, and because I, you know, the time that everyone would have spent out doing, you know, some other things, you know, we we dug into this. Yeah, for us, really, what we would love to see over the next five years, we we recently partnered with a group that are out of the UK, but a gentleman by Dan Kendall, he started the Health Podcast Network. So this is a trusted you know, resource and library of health-specific podcasts. And another unique thing that we're going to be working on with him, and really where I think you know, No Stroke could go, No Stroke will continue to evolve into hopefully hundreds of episodes, more in this long-term, similar to, or long-form podcast, similar that we're doing today. You know, and and touch on a range of different topics. And what we see is the No Stroke podcast being for that year on phase, right? So, you know, once you've really kind of gotten to grasp with stroke, you know, whether you're a survivor, whether you're a caregiver, or even clinical professionals, trying to see what's next, what's coming, you know, trying to keep kind of on taps of, of different types of options for for your recovery, keeping that going. But what we're trying to nail down here with with Dan Kendall and what's called the Health Unmuted series is going to be more of a short form mini series, right? So this is going to, when I say short form episodes, similar to how you you might get your daily news in a podcast, right? So about ten minutes max, fifteen. And we're trying to now define what these episodes are going to be because we're only going to have about 10 episodes, right? And I'd like to see a survivor-specific miniseries, a caregiver-specific miniseries, and answer some of these questions that we've been discussing today, right? It's in that transition of care, what I need to know, and especially as a caregiver, right? Like you're going to be so busy being able to have an audio form of that being it to, to quickly put on and kind of digest some of this information could be, you know, future of what's handed over when you leave the hospital, you know, instead of, yeah, you'll have your back, but hey, you know, take a listen to this podcast series specific for you, a caregiver. And then when the time's right, specific for the survivor as well, I'm going to connect those dots. Giving you a golf clap right now, Michael, because <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. And talk about niching down right? Mm. Understanding when you guys come into play, you're after stroke, getting very specific on micro bits of information focused on a specific audience and particular points of transition. I think that's fantastic. David, how do you, how do you find the time running your practice to help bring some of that content to play? Have you guys sat down and outlined what the next year of micro episodes or mini series would look like? Yeah, we're, we're in the process of moving towards defining those episodes that Mike mentioned going into the fall. I believe, you know, firmly this can be a digital asset that can be part of someone's discharge portfolio or, you know, I think Henry, I heard you mention, I don't know if it was on our episode or another that, you know, we want someone of all abilities, anyone's age, you should be able to call up on the technology is there now that you should be able to call up and get evidence-based answers you know, if you need to use Amazon Alexa and a skills that specifically, it's almost like prescribed like a therapy. Just, you know, when I was looking for this the year after my stroke at 39 years old, I was referred to a nursing home for support. So that's that, 
that's always going to resonate. We have to do damn a hell of a lot better. And then hearing the survivor stories that, you know, Henry, you mentioned, you know, the common magic wand question we ask. We hear so many times what's needed that someone's got to take up the charge and actually get it done. You know, our national associations are not doing the best job of of providing those actual tools, do a great job with fundraising, but we there, have to, there goes their sponsorship they were looking for, Dave. Don't be talking about <laughs> But it, you know, with all the yeah, crossover right. and all the work that we did pulling survivor groups together, we've uncovered and we continue to do that informal research of hearing these unmet needs. And that's kind of where yeah. I think the digital asset, I talk about podcasting and the power of what we're both doing here with our podcasts, I think is unmeasured right now, but I think it should have a much bigger role and it can. Well, Michael, I know that we would like to continue the dialogue offline, specifically, David, your, your content right in your head, both as a survivor and a therapist, but Michael, the fact you're in product management, I'm a former product manager and, and to me, they're the hardest jobs to find for any company because it's a bit of a unicorn, right? You have to have technical, customer focused, communicative, you have to understand how to do customer research, and then you have to you know, synthesize it into something that works. And as you described, there are associations out there. There are, there are groups, there's places you can go for information, but it's not curated. It's not in a way that you could then take bits of information and assemble it into something that meets that particular stroke survivor and caregiver situation, right? All the components are usually there. It's how you assemble them and then put them in iteration after one another and then check in, right? You said, check in. Is this the right piece of equipment? Is the right therapy? What do the results look like? How do I address the caregiver's concerns during that process? How do we address the basic fundamental active daily living concerns of bathing, transportation, dressing, feeding, medication, all those things that sit outside the 10,000 repetitions the survivor has to go through? So I think everything you just described is another step forward in stroke recovery to give people the information, particularly the fact that the two of you bring such different perspectives to this situation. That's exciting for the folks at Sabo and exciting for, I think, our audience as well. So we're very grateful for the fact that you guys were able to participate in the program. Looks like we may have lost Henry due to technical difficulties. South Carolina doesn't have really good internet, by the way. You guys can tease him that. Me in North Carolina, we're high speed, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'll tell you, I just took a, a road trip from Athens, Georgia, back to New York there on, on Sun over the weekend, and it was spotty service the whole way. Yeah. And once you got into South Carolina, it's like you just disappeared off the map, and then you get back yeah. to North Carolina, everything got really better. So, hey, guys, um, can you, Henry, I don't know what happened there, unfortunately. So I guess you're back. We were just wrapping up and, and talking about how excited we are by the fact that these two gentlemen bring very different perspectives. And they're curating information both for caregiver survivors and especially with a therapist viewpoint. Looking forward to following the podcast, particularly the new miniseries, and would love to get you guys back in the program in a year and check in and see how that's all going as well. And thank you for having Henry on your show as well. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Thank you. And just one more thing on the so with this miniseries that we were we were mentioning, we Dave and I, and you know, you guys, like we all have been in this space for so long, right? And and we understand we we take pride in immersing ourselves in both the caregiver role and the survivor role. But as we curate these episodes um, for the Health Unmuted series, we need help from others, right? So we we have a survey currently on the No Stroke website, and you know, 
I encourage anyone, whether you're a survivor, a caregiver, or a clinical expert working with stroke patients, to share your feedback. You know, what needs to be defined in these 10 episodes in terms of topics for us to deliver? So please share your feedback and we'll provide the link to you guys so you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Carly, our producer who's on the show right now, we'll make sure that we include that in our show notes as well as a link to the podcast in general. So absolutely. Anytime we can get the information over to you guys. Again, Henry, thanks for uh, leading the more challenging questions as usual. And David and Michael, it's been a pleasure meeting you guys. And David, good luck on the rest of your journey. And Michael, Godspeed to your mother as well. Yeah, likewise, guys. Nice chatting with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, gents. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the No Plateau Podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe to stay up to date on more stroke and brain injury recovery stories. The No Plateau Podcast is intended to give you an insight into stroke and brain injury survivors' journeys. Any opinions given on this podcast are strictly the individual's, and we do not suggest that you necessarily hold the same viewpoints as anyone on this podcast. This podcast is intended to supplement stroke and brain injury survivors' recovery journey. Therefore, all content affiliated with this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Reliance on any information provided by the No Plateau podcast is solely at your own risk.